Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Chanel, how I have imposed um, self-regulation, no more accents for living people. We had to regulate DD because... I was offending people. So one person was offended. Okay. Um, um, what's the word? Ironically, the only accent that I can do really well, mm. because I'm married to an Irishman. That doesn't mean anything. You could be married to an astronaut. It doesn't mean you can fly to the moon. But I'm surrounded by them all the time, having their Irish fights, and yeah, I'm so dying <laughs> to break their out into Irish it. fights. Like they're always fighting. They're oh. always fighting, and then they're singing "Come All Ye" songs. "Come All Ye Fellas," and do 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 down the pub. And I can do an Where Irish is accent. Where's this going? Well, because Kirsten said to me, "Can you do an Irish accent?" And I said, "Yeah, I will. I'll get a Irish dead body story." Just we'll so you can that. do an Irish accent. Yes, but the problem is I found an Irish dead body story. Right. It is so grim. It is oh. so upsetting that I will not be doing anything oh, no even remotely required. fun. No, okay. won't be doing. So we've wasted the first three it's, minutes of this talking and, about an accent that you can do but you won't do. That's right. And, and I um, sincerely want to warn people that this, this story. You're really affected by this story. Yep. So Dee Dee and I do a little bit of pre-chat. We don't always tell each other what we're talking about, but from the get-go, you have warned me about how horrible mm. this is. And we try to do light and shade sometimes with these episodes. So mine, I said, oh, well, mine's pretty light. And you were just going, mine's mm. so grim. I didn't accept. It's awful. Didn't and, and it's a current story. It's something that's still oh. happening. Yeah, it'll all make sense to you in a minute. Okay. But it's genuinely disturbing and it contains um, things that were done to little children and babies. Oh. So if you think that's not for you... Now's the time. Don't want to tell you not to listen but come to come back later because yeah. I've got um, – bringing it back up. Do the little 15-second. Or sometimes when I'm listening to other people's podcasts and I'm not into what they're talking about, I do – have you ever done it in double speed? No. Yeah, you can do like two times, one oh. and a half times. It goes fast. Okay. So you can sort of hear what they're saying but not really. I am going to talk to you about – uh, what has become known as the Chamber of Horrors in County Galway in Ireland in a place called, now it's spelt T-U-A-M and the Irish pronounce it Tume. And I have heard um, American people pronounce it Tume. So I'll say Tume because that's how the Irish say it. It's, it was a workhouse. It was built for about 800 people in 1841. So it had dormitories, it had a hospital in the main building and what they called an idiot's ward. Oh. Hmm. Uh, this was the time of the Great Famine and when that passed, the workhouse continued to house the poor and the homeless for more than 60 years. In 1916, during the uprising against British rule, the British troops kicked out the poor people and they made the building into their barracks. Um, and then in 1925, it became the Bon Secours bon Mother and Baby Home, which was run by the Order of Bon Secours Sisters, led by Mother Hortense McNamara. It's a harsh-sounding name. So. Mm. so what happened was um, single women who became pregnant were 
very much frowned upon and they were sent there to give birth rather than oh, at a hospital. Oh, away, yeah. Exactly. Shamed. It was when the term confinement was used to right. describe a woman's pregnancy. Because Ireland at the time was almost wholly Christian and um, the Catholic Church in particular dominated and as many as 23,000 women around the country were sent to give birth in, in disgrace. I don't know where the fathers of all these things were. It was the women who were the ones who were disgraceful. Out of wedlock and yeah. men that were married and exactly. had knocked up other women. That's exactly right. So it wasn't just Tume. There were other um, institutions around the country, but this is the one at the centre of today's story. Uh, sex outside marriage was more than just a sin. So um, if they'd had sex outside Marriage, they were relegated to an institution or thrown on a boat to Britain. And then oh. the pregnant ones were put into these homes to give birth. Um, four years later, after setting up the Bon Secours Sisters Mother and Baby Home, they opened a maternity ward so that mothers could be segregated from the public wards. So after giving birth, the mothers were required to stay inside the home for a year and do unpaid work for the nuns as a way of thanking them for their midwifery services. They were separated from their children and at the end of the year they were kicked out but the children were kept. Oh. So the mothers... So you get to spend a year with your child and then you're kicked out on the street? I don't even know if during the 12 months they were there working they were allowed to see or be with their children. Wow. So the children were kept. They were often adopted out. And I'll get into it a bit more on what happened to these children. But very often, in fact, in most cases, it was done without the consent of the mothers. If if a woman had more than one baby outside the marriage, they were sent directly to the Magdalene laundries after giving birth as a puni- punishment for what they called their recid- recidivism. Um, what these nuns did was nothing short of cruel. Now, this is a – I want to play something here. It's a guy called PJ who lived in the home until he was seven years old There was a documentary made by the New York Times on this particular case, and here he talks about what he and his mother, mm -hmm, what he and his mother suffered through. My mother got pregnant outside of marriage, and of course that was a big sin. And the priest in the parish got to hear about it and told her parents that it was an awful disgrace, that she couldn't be seen out because she'd be a bad influence. So they told her then that when the baby is due, that she was to be taken to Chum, the home in Chum, and the nuns would look after her there. Then they opened the door and told her she'll have to leave. And she said, I want my son. And they just closed the door on her face. And every week then she would walk from the centre of Chum out the Dublin Road every week for five and a half years, knocking on the door. I want to take my son out there. That's my son you have in there. I want to rear him. I want to look after him. And they said, no, he's got to be fostered out. And that was it. Like, it's so painful. It's just, you know, as a mother, to have your child taken away and to hear him say, and he's got an accent, but um, that every week she would walk up and down and say, I want my son. I, I want don't my son. have children, as the listeners know, but my best friend recently had a baby. Mm. And she said to me, I know it sounds so cliche, but it is unbelievable how much I love this child. Mm. And he's only been in my life 24 hours. Yeah. I, I totally get it. You, you don't know it and, until you until you do. You, you, you would die for them, die for them, and the bond is just extraordinary. So the nuns in this place were paid by the local council 
they got one pound a week for a week for each mother and child. At that time, working women were earning around three pounds a week. So a pound a week was was quite a lot of money. It was decent mm-hmm. money. Uh, foster parents got payments. Some of them looked after the children, but some of them weren't spending that money on the children. They were just taking them in in order to get the money. In one particular case, a mother found work in England. She was sending money back to the nuns to look after her child until she was able to come back and get it. The nuns didn't tell her that her son had been adopted out. They'd given her son away, but they continued to take her money from her. In 1947, an official inspector visited the home and found that some of the children were suffering from malnutrition. 12 out of 31 babies were emaciated and not thriving. One in three babies died, which was more than double the death rate at similar homes around the country. Despite that, though, this is the council going, nothing to see here, people. Mm. Uh, The report went on to say, the care given to infants in the home is good. The sisters are careful and attentive. Diets are excellent. Two years later, inspectors from the Galway County Council reported that everything in the home is in good order and they congratulated the Bon Secours sisters on the excellent condition of their institution. The home closed in 1961. And a new housing, it was knocked down, and a new housing estate was built on the site. In 1975, two 12-year-old boys from the estate were playing where the home had been. And as boys will do, they were digging down a hole and they found a chamber, which they said was filled to the brim with children's (gasps) skeletons. They were under a piece of concrete that covered where the home's septic... (laughs) Oh, dear. See, it was the septic tank. Can you believe it? They put the babies in a septic tank. If you wouldn't get through this, sorry. I just can't believe they did that. So one of those little boys, the 12-year-olds that found it. It's so ironic that it's. It's, I know they're 12, but it's it's children finding children. I know, it's yeah. So, it makes it so awful. You're right, actually. I hadn't thought of that. So one of – sorry, I, I, honestly, my husband, when I was reading this and getting it ready, he kept saying, you've got to stop it. You've got to put this down. Yeah. But I feel like it has to be told. Um, so this is one of the boys. I just want to play something now. This is Franny Hopkins. He's now an adult. And he, again, is telling that same New York, New York Times documentary what happened when he and his mate found – Oh, he's one of the boys that found Yes, oh, yeah. wow. There used to be a little apple orchard in there. And that's where we were in when we were getting apples. So we jumped up the wall and when we landed, we felt a hollow. And there was a crack in the slab. So we actually pried it open. When we pulled across, like you could see, that there were skeleton remains there, like bones. We were told in the next day that the priest had come up and said a prayer and not to go in there again. But we came in straight away and the whole site had been levelled and cleared. So, as he said at the end there, when they came back, the priest said a prayer and when they came back, the whole site had been levelled and cleared. They'd covered it over. Nothing to see, people. Nothing to see at all. There's such a big cover-up, such a big conspiracy in this particular case. So, in 2012... A woman by the name of Catherine Corliss, she was a local historian. She started investigating. She actually was just wanting to write something about the home. And the, and more the she whole looked, time the bodies are still there? Yes. The skeletons are still the there? The bodies are still there. Now? Mm-hmm. 
They're working on it. Um, So Catherine Corliss, who is honestly, whatever award they can give this woman, they should do. She started investigating and a public servant by the name of Anne Glennon helped her out. She gave her the names of the children who had death certificates listing the Chum home, Chum home, or the Chum children's home as a place of death. So we now had a list of how many children had that as their place of death. There were 796 Mm. names on the list and they've been published. How? How did that many children die and no one asks questions until? I think people must have, you know, the more people talk now, now that people can talk because people didn't talk about stuff like that. I think the more, you know, there's signs that people did figure something was going on. So their death certificates listed the cause of death as tuberculosis, convulsions, measles, whooping cough, malnutrition and influenza. Um, Catherine Corliss, the um, historian, she tried to find burials for these children in the local graveyards. Of those 796 names, only two had received proper burials in a graveyard. So she concluded that the only possible location for the bodies was where the skeletons were found back in 1975. They checked against maps and they did establish that that was the site of the home septic tank. And and some locals have since spoken and they've said that they'd see nuns and workmen apparently burying remains there late in the evening. Um. The Irish government called the allegations deeply disturbing and they ordered the police to begin an investigation. So in 2012, the health service executive raised concern that as many as a 1,000 children from the home had been sent for illegal adoptions in the United States. So this is separate to the bodies there. They're fostering them out, not even legally. Exactly, and brokering deals for them and selling them for who knows what. I did read one figure of £3,000 for a child. So rich families in America who wanted to adopt a child were being given these little children. They were telling the mothers at the home that their children had died. By the way, apart from the high death rate of the babies, there was a high death rate of residents as well. So nobody was getting any sort of good care in there, was there? (sighs) Uh, An investigation was eventually ordered under Judge Yvonne Murphy and some excavations were carried out in 2016 and 2017 and they found what they described as a significant quantity of human remains aged from 35 fetal weeks to two to three years. They were packed in a vault with 20 chambers. Um, The expert technical group confirmed that the vault had been a sewage tank and said the following... The combination of an institutional boarding home and commingled interments of juvenile remains in a sewerage treatment system is a unique situation with no directly comparable domestic or international cases. In other words, they've no never one seen anything like it anywhere in the world ever. So in October 2018, the Irish government announced that it would introduce legislation to allow for a full excavation of the mass grave and the site for forensic DNA testing to be carried out on the remains. Um, There was an inquiry done earlier, but but nothing much happened from it. The minister knew about it, but only got involved when word had got out into the media in 2014. Mm. Um, The initial report done by the police said that the burials were from famine times, that they weren't recent, they weren't the babies. 
the um, and the Irish government sent a couple of cops in on a fact-finding mission, and they said there was no evidence of a crime. So there was every at every level there was there was cover-up going on. A human rights expert and special rapporteur, he's called on child protection, Professor Geoffrey Shannon, has been appointed to examine the case. So their aim now is just to make sure that all the children who were interred at the site have a dignified and respectful burial. And then again, just a few weeks ago, the Irish government, as I said, approved for a full forensic excavation of the site. The Bon Secures Secures Sisters still exist, and they have contributed to the excavation costs. Uh, A survivors group has been formed, and they want acknowledgement, apology, and redress. And so at the moment, um, it's still an ongoing process. The commission is continuing its investigation into who was responsible for the disposal of human remains in that way. And there is a probe into 18 institutions. So this is just one of many. Um, I'm not suggesting that this has happened at other institutions, but they need to check and find Mm. out. They also need to look and see whether on the tomb property, whether there are any other burials anywhere else there. Some people are calling for the Order of Nuns to be disbanded because uh, some are saying that the order is built on the bones of the dead tomb babies. What's there now on that property? It's a housing estate. Oh. There's people living there. I mean, it's like imagine living above that. Um, I just wanted to mention Catherine Corliss, the woman who started this thing off when doing her investigation. She appeared on the Late Late Show into uh, last year, 2017, alongside a, a survivor, and um, she got a standing ovation at the end of the segment there. She's been awarded a Human Rights Award. She just says, hopefully the Commission of Inquiry will give the survivors justice. All they want is an apology and acknowledgement of what happened to them and their mothers. And just one other thing is um, in April this year, a book was published. It's called My Name is Bridget. The author, Alison Riley, covers the story of Bridget Dolan, who had two baby boys while she was in the care, we can use that word, of the Bon Secours nuns. Her daughter... Uh, Anna Corrigan tells of discovering, so Anna is alive. Mm-hmm. She discovered that she had two brothers who had been born in the institution, in tomb, who she never knew anything about. The first one, John Desmond Dolan, was born in February 1946 in the tomb home. He died less than 15 months later. This is from the book. Um, and was described in an inspection report as a miserable, emaciated child with a voracious appetite and no control over bodily functions, probably mentally defective, and his death certificate calls him a congenital idiot. Mm. And the second baby boy she had, William Joseph, was born in, uh, he was born healthy in 1950. He died in February the following year at the Tomb home, but no cause of death was given. And it was it's believed that he may have been trafficked abroad for adoption. So Those the people case would still continues. be alive. Yep, there people are still. People that are trafficked overseas would 100% still be alive. But they wouldn't know where they would have where no they idea. From. No. And Their parents could be dead. And the survivors are still alive. And the reason so many of these babies became sick is because they were being separated from their mothers. And mm, if a child's a not eating, it needs its mother, it needs breast milk, it needs mm. – and, and they weren't getting that. Isn't it depressing? So hopefully, you know, something will, will come of it in the end and they'll have some sort of closure. But how they how they just dumped babies in a in And a got away with tank. it. Yep. And got away with it. And who first made that call? That's put them in the sewage what they tank. need to investigate. And then it they? probably just became what they did. Mm. You know, it probably just became. But did not one nun 
did not one nun say, what are we doing? Or was it, the, the, was it one who was doing it all? I have nothing to say about the Catholic Church keeping secrets. Oh, Catholic Church, I mean, they've got a lot of problems there at the moment, haven't and they? Already... I'm a Catholic. Okay. And I have nothing to say about that. Not, right. I'm not defending no, either no, way. No. I'm going very much the other way. I thought it sounded like I was defending them for a second. Fair enough. All right. Whew. I've got something much lighter that I don't want to take anything away from the world. how you could talk awful about anything that else. is. It's something that surprisingly we haven't discussed on the Dead Bodies podcast, the most expensive funerals of all time. Oh, this sounds juicy. Don't know why I thought about this. Who do you think, you'll never guess it, had the most expensive funeral? And if you can't guess the person, put a price on it. Oh, I feel like Elizabeth Taylor would have gone something super fancy. It's not her. No. Put a price. The most expensive funeral. Have a think about it. Oh, look at You're driving. Just think of the number in your head, how much you think it would be. Don't spend more than a million. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm. What about 600 million? No. Yes. On a funeral. The most expensive funeral of all time was actually for Alexander the Great. What? Yeah. I did not know this. The ancient king who presided over the largest empire in the world... He passed away in 323 BC and was placed in a gold casket and transported in a gold carriage pulled by 60 horses. His funeral procession went through all sorts of places and it cost $600 million. Next one on the list. Hang on, where's the gold casket now? I don't know. Okay. Get your metal detector out. We're going on an expedition. Mm-hmm. Next most expensive, Ronald Reagan. Really? Yeah. Why did they spend so much on him, I wonder? $400 million. Why so expensive? Obviously, President of the United States from 1980 to 1988, died in 2004 and was given an expensive funeral costing $400 million. The cost of the funeral also went up because a national day of mourning was declared and that closed down the stock market. Oh, they're adding that in as well. Okay. But uh, they do also think that once you add up all the costs for the state services security, uh, some believe that his funeral could actually reach the price of $800 million or or up to one billion once everything was taken into account. Uh, when you think about it, there would have been world leaders and yeah. things, wouldn't there? Yep. So they would have had to have massive security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next it's such on... a waste of money. Like I get it. Well, I don't know. I don't get it with weddings. I don't. I don't get oh, spending no. so weddings much money kills on me. one day. Yeah. Like wedding. You... I'm yet to get married. Would you rather have the money? I dread it every just... day. <laughs> What are you dreading getting that married? That sounds so bad, doesn't it? I dread it. Yeah. I've never. Just elope. Just go it. somewhere. I've, I just, I cannot. The in-laws are Greek. I'll never escape. I hate large oh. rooms filled with large people. I hate talking to large people. Oh, and kill me. at you. Kill me. I would get, and it'll never happen. I'm confessing all the things I should never confess or say out aloud <laughs> while I'm talking about dead bodies. I would love to get married at a registry and have a small Do it. part. I cannot. I cannot. I can never. And 
Nicholas's dad passed away, bless his soul, mm. loveliest man ever, mm. because we had people who were so lovely to us during that time. Now it's like they must be invited to the wedding. Oh, no. Yeah. I sometimes say to Nicholas, your dad ruined this for us. What's it going to cost? I don't know. A lot of money. Million. I can't. We have two mortgages between us. I sometimes think about that and I think we could spend that money in such a better way. Yeah. Just keep putting it off. Can my dogs be there? Of course they can. Mm. That's what I want. Cushions on their back. I can't. With a ring on it. When you see me at my wedding, just know I'm dying inside. I know. Yeah. Would you like like your funeral? Would you like hysteria and things to go on? Yeah, that's fine. Because yeah, I do. Because I'll be plans. dead at my wedding. <laughs> I'm already dead inside. Love of my life. I know I talk about murdering him. Love of my life. <laughs> want to marry him. Don't want that craziness that comes with it. Anyway, this is obscene. It's obscene that they're spending. That it much. is, isn't it? John F. Kennedy, fifteen million. It drops. There's quite a big drop between. But are they including like you know jets to zip them around? I guess so. And stuff. Uh, another U.S. president, John F. Kennedy, killed by assassination in 1963. Uh, his burial plot in Arlington National Cemetery, uh, and his whole funeral cost fifteen million with all the fanfare that comes with it. Well, where does Princess Diana's rank? Well. Is it on I your list? I thought this. It's on my list. Hold on. I'm not there yet. Queen Mother, <laughs> yep. $12.5 million. Yep. Uh, Westminster, Westminster Abbey. That's where her funeral was. Uh, then it's Pope John Paul II. Right. $11.9 million. Imagine that would have been mostly catering. It spaghetti, was the largest sort of gathering of heads of state in history. Four kings, five queens, 70 presidents and prime ministers and 14 leaders of other religions attended. So it's probably, you know, they can't just put them up at the local flag in. No, they? and imagine all it, yeah. the security that comes with all of those people. Yeah, and they've all got to and stay security somewhere. security that has to be provided. You'd have snipers on the roofs. Transport. Yeah, all that. Mm. And then it's Diana, $11.8 Oh, she was a bargain, Which wasn't was, she? Yeah. But then, what do you reckon Michael Jackson Mm. Wasn't there question marks over his fortune at the time he died? I feel like yeah, there was. Yeah, I think so. And he's one of those people that he's made more money since he's been dead than when he was alive or something like that, That's right? That's the truth. I think so because I think the Neverland Ranch was in foreclosure or something at yeah. the time he died. Once so that, I'm dead, yeah. bang, no, I'm not making any money. Cardboard box? Yeah, well, I just, I've just i got nothing to make money off. I'm, you know, <laughs> what am I leaving behind? <laughs> This podcast isn't making any isn't making us any dough. No, it's not. <laughs> so you have to find someone else. Yeah. Anyway, Michael Jackson, only a million. Really? Yeah. yeah no, it doesn't surprise me. But wasn't he? Where yeah. was he buried? Neverland. No, because they wasn't? sold Neverland. They're, oh, they're, they did too. Because wasn't where was there, he buried? Like, just sad giraffes and things wandering around after he'd gone. Or had they already traumatized gone? monkeys and things? Just empty merry-go-rounds. Just yeah. Nee, and nee, someone nee, broke nee, in. Nee, I was obsessed nee. with looking at that. Are you? Yeah, someone broke into Neverland or they say that, you know, they w- weren't breaking in because the gate was open so they walked through it and they took all these photos inside Neverland and put them on the internet. You can Google them. It's fascinating. Uh, can I confess a terrible mm. thing with Michael Jackson? Oh, no, I shouldn't because this gets into a very grey area, doesn't it? Well, I don't know what it is. But if I was going to die, that's probably how I would go. What? Well, have you ever had an anaesthetic where, they, where you go to sleep? Oh, yeah, but I yelled at my um, anesthesiologist. Is that the word? 
You yelled. Yeah. Like you're falling asleep. Oh, we're getting personal again. I was having a colonoscopy, people, and it's all um, downstairs with you, isn't oh, it? It really is. And I'm just Could confessing things sample, in please? these episodes of late. Like I worked at a strip club, I don't want a wedding, and I had a camera up the butt. Um, and he was late, and that was annoying because I was kind of worked up about it. Not worked up, but I was anxious, mm-hmm. right? So then. Old mate turns up, you know, we all know they make a packet and probably... They do. Right? So he turns up and he starts looking at the top of my hand. I did not want it to go in there. And I I tapped his hand. (laughs) I'm on the bed about to be wheeled into theatre. He's like, hello, Chanel, I'm here. That's... Oh, I don't know why I was... You did an accent. Uh, I'm just going to... I'm your... I'm going to put you to sleep and I'll just have a quick look at your hands. And I slapped his hand away. I said, don't you dare think about putting it in the top of my hand. That's revolting. There's not enough fleshy skin there. And I said, look right here. And I pointed to the inside of my... I'm wearing a tight jacket, so I can't show you. But I said, look right here, junkies veins. There's a great vein there. Yeah, there's a big blue vein there. And I said, take that one right there. And he goes, oh, well, I don't like being told how to do my job, but yeah, that's a great one. He goes, are you ready? I said, I'm ready that I'll ever be. Three, two, one, out. I thought I was the bossy one. Yeah. I did not want it in the top of my hand. Why not? Because you can. It feels like it's there's irritating. a lot of bone it there. Is. Yeah, it's horrible if the, when you wake up and they've got. But an I IV did like when what? I when you're out, you're out. You oh, I know. love that. It's... I love that when they st- – some of them make you count and some of them try and have a bit of a conversation. You can feel yourself like, oh, He said I to me – it was weird because they, they said – I was complaining that I was hungry because they make you drink that drink so that there's nothing in your body oh, when okay. you're doing your colonoscopy, you know. Fleet. Yeah, and when I went to sleep, they were saying, and what are you going to eat when after you're done? Out. Mm. And then when I woke up, he said to me, you had a very clean colon. That's lovely, Chanel. That's what he said to me. He complimented me on my clean colon. Um, we had a feedback. Is Why are you good? ignoring my clean colon? Ignoring. Wait, you talk. I'm going to get the feedback. I'm getting colon. it. You're obsessed with it. Um, is it worth doing or is it not? Yes, it's worth doing. It's okay. Cassandra on Facebook. <laughs> Here she is. Excuse me, give more attention to my colon, please. (laughs) She says, I was on a flight from Sydney to New York with my mum. This comes off the back of me doing this episode that everyone's very affected by, where the dead bodies are on the planes. My sister lived there for two years. She's talking about New York. We stopped in Osaka and a couple of hours after leaving, the flight attendants put a call out for a doctor. A second call was put out for a doctor. I turned to my registered nurse mum and told her to go and offer help because it was probably something simple. That is so something I would do to my mum. Like my mum would just sit there and I'd go, "Hello, go." She'd go, oh, "Do you think I should go?" I thought yes. you didn't talk to people they... during flights. Well, mum's in a different category. Okay. You can't. My mum was gone for a while, and I kept thinking I should go and see if she was okay. Half an hour passed and my mum walked down the aisle of the aircraft, locked eyes with me. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. Locked eyes with me and mouthed, he's dead. (gasps) A 34-year-old man in first class was sat next to his business partner, seemingly asleep. The first class flight attendant noticed the man was agitated and muttering in his sleep, checked with his business partner if the man was okay and the business partner repeatedly dismissed it as he's just dreaming. Mm-hmm. She says, now I'm an RN, a registered nurse. I wonder if the man had a huge, oh, I don't know what that word is, intracerebral? 
Sounds good. Inter, in, Sounds like it's intracerebral hemorrhage. Mm. The American flight attendant approached us, thanked my mum, gave her a bottle of champers and said, I have a great faith in the Lord and I believe everyone has their time. Mm. My very Catholic but pragmatic mum said in a complete deadpan and his time was now. Oh, thanks, Mum. <laughs> Nobody except us and the crew knew until we touched down at JFK. I know it's not funny, but I love the mum tottering down the aisle, them locking eyes and her just going, he's dead. <laughs> That's a very good story. Right in. Oh, please Tell do. Tell us more. You're about to cut us off. We're not done. Spruik this stuff that we need for people to right write up. in. Twitter, at because I always forget what they are. Look up Twitter. Just look up Dead Bodies Podcast. Facebook, we love you on Facebook. Please, it's very exciting. If you don't um, want to write us an email, you can message us on Facebook. I don't read them because right. I'm terrified Dee Dee is on there. Yes, I am. And I apologise quickly if I've done anything wrong. She knows who she is. And also you can email us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>